encouraging one another today. Love it. Love it. Well, we are in Hebrews chapter 4 today, and James Rees Thomas is here to bring God's word to us. James is an elder here at the street, um, and let's pray for him right now as we open up what God has to say to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for James. We thank you for the word of God that you have um, given to all of us, and we thank you for the way that you have been preparing James to bring that word to us this morning. And Lord, right now we pray that you would work in us um, by your Holy Spirit, bring, bring your truth to change us, and we want to be transformed by the living God right now. So Lord, Holy Spirit, fall upon James with power, we pray, and we pray also for ourselves, fall upon us with power, we pray, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen, amen. Thanks, Sarah, that's awesome. Fantastic. Hey, good morning. Good to see you. It's exciting to be back. Well, not back in the book of Hebrews. We've been in the book of Hebrews for a while. But we are in the book of Hebrews. If you've got a Bible, I invite you to open it. We're going to have the verses come up on the screen as well. A little bit of context if this is your first time or you've missed out a few weeks. So Hebrews is a book written to the Hebrews, funny enough, a letter written to them. We're not sure who wrote it, but we do know that it is God's message for the Hebrew Christian believers at the time. So Christians who were Jews but had come to receive Jesus as their Messiah. And it is a very relevant message to us today as well as we try to unpick what does it mean to live as a follower of Jesus Christ today. And I've got to say that as I've been preparing for this message this week, this has probably been one of the most personally challenging messages I can ever remember preparing for because it is so practical to my life today. And it's really challenging me about how am I living against what the Bible is instructing and encouraging me to do. So I really hope and pray it'll be the same for each of you. And it's the wonderful thing about the Bible is it's so relevant today to where we're at. So let's jump into it. Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 to 11. I'm just going to read the whole lot and then we're going to jump into uh, unpacking it a bit. Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have received the good news just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest, in keeping with what he has said. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest, even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world." For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Again, in that passage, he says, they will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, he again specifies a certain day, today. He specified this speaking through David, that's King David, after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the, people who, for the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience." Last week, Sarah challenged us to live with a soft heart today, didn't she? 
live with a soft heart today. And she reminded us as well, and we practice it today, to encourage one another to keep a soft heart today. Okay, so she challenged us to live with a soft heart today, and she challenged us to encourage one another to live with that soft heart today. And you see, interestingly enough, we're going to find that one of the keys to keeping a soft heart is all in chapter 4 here. And the key is this, making every effort to enter the rest of God today. Okay, so Sarah says, well, the Bible says, but she reminded us, keep a soft heart today, encourage one another to keep a soft heart. And then chapter 4 is going to tell us one of the keys to keeping a soft heart is to enter the rest of God Today, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 says, Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. So I want to look at three things, okay? The first thing is this, really briefly, because Sarah mentioned it a bit last week. What is the rest of God? Okay, we're going to look at that just quickly. Then we're going to say this, why is it important that we should make every effort to enter it? Why is it that important? And then thirdly, well then, how do you enter it? Okay, how do you enter the rest of God? So let's look at the first one. What is God's rest that remains for us? Sarah described it as this. God's rest is the place of God's promised provision and blessing. The place of God's promised provision and blessing. I love that way of describing it. And as we're looking at Hebrews 3 and 4, it keeps looking back to the Old Testament, as Aidan was telling us a couple of weeks ago, that it keeps looking back to the Old Testament. And it brings us to a time in history where the Jews were about to enter into the promised land that God had prepared for them. They'd come out of Egypt as slaves, and they were right on the edge of going over the River Jordan and into the promised land of Canaan, right? And that was the place that God had been preparing for them, the promise, the place of God's promised provision and blessing. But it also, this place of Canaan, pointed to a future place, the heavenly city of God, the place where we will, if we follow Jesus, have eternal rest with Him, okay? So it was a practical place for them, but it was also a, a picture of what was to come for all people who follow Jesus. Jesus Christ. But we had that reminder last week, that very somber reminder, that even though the Israelite people got right to the edge of going into the promised land, through their unbelief, they failed to enter the rest of God. And instead, they ended up walking around, didn't they, for 40 years in the desert because they didn't believe that God would bring them into that place of rest. And they wandered until that whole generation of adults had died out. And the challenge we had was so strong last week, wasn't it, to say, let us not be the generation that wanders around for 40 years. But let us, I would say, be the generation that enters into the rest of God, that has belief, the generation of belief that says, God, I want to enter into your rest today. That's the challenge for us. And in verse 9 of Hebrews 4, we read, Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. That word Sabbath you may have heard before. It's interesting, the word Sabbath, the root Sabbat comes, means this, to cease or to desist. To cease or to desist. What did the Sabbath rest look like? Well, again, back in the Old Testament, 
there's many allusions to the Sabbath or, 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 or writings about the Sabbath, but I want to just point a couple to you. In Exodus 33:14, God said this to the people of Israel when he was talking about going into the promised land. He said that he would go with them, his presence would go with them, and he would give them rest. So there's something about the rest of God and the presence of God and how they work together. Where God is, if you are there, you experience his rest. And in Deuteronomy 12, 7, the rest of God is described this way. There in the presence of the Lord your God, that is in the promised land, in Canaan, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to, because the Lord your God has blessed you. You will cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. And look at this. And he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. For the Hebrews, the rest of God was a place of safety, a place of security, a place of inheritance, and it was a place of rejoicing rejoicing in everything that they had put their hand to, rejoicing in their work, rejoicing in their life. Why? Because the Lord had blessed them. And what he's saying to them is that when you enter into this promised land, it will be a place of rejoicing, and you will be rejoicing in the blessing of God on your life, the inheritance of God. And the amazing thing is, is that that rest that God speaks about there, Hebrews tells us, is available for us today. The place of God's promised provision and blessing. Do you know that rest? Are you walking in that rest? Are you experiencing that on a daily basis? That's the rest of God. So why is the rest of God important then? You may remember that very famous poem of Rudyard Kipling's, If. You read that poem? I remember growing up with that. In fact, my father was a headmaster, and he used to, when boys were a bit naughty, he would sometimes get them to write out the entire poem. It's quite a long poem. But there was some wonderful stuff in that poem, and I still remember it on my father's door, and I would read that, and I was challenged and encouraged by it. And one of the stanzas in there says this, If you can fill the unforgiving minute... With 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. And I wanted to be a man as a little boy reading that, right? But do you know what? While I love that poem so much, sometimes I wish that stanza actually said something like this. If you can sit and rest without turning it into a competitive test, yours is the earth and peace comes with it, and what is more, you'll be a man, my son. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. Instead, I feel this challenge in my life to cram every minute with productivity. Do you know what I mean? Do some of you struggle with that? It's like if I'm not action-orientated and doing something which is going towards something, I feel like I'm wasting my time. I feel like I'm wasting that 60 seconds, and I want to cram it full of stuff that's productive, hopefully. Man... You know, we live in a world that's structured towards productivity and achievement, do more, deliver more, achieve more, accumulate more. You know, unfortunately, I think that even in the church, we've almost added to that as well. And sometimes it's like we can, we can add on to the Christian life as well, all of these things we've got to do. And if we're not being productive for Jesus, then something's wrong. You've seen that saying before? And against all of this, the Sabbath simply says, stop. 
literally cease, desist. You know, I said to Nick last week, because he's speaking on this topic over in East, I said, look, why don't we just come in and give everyone 30 minutes of silence? It'd be a really easy preparation that week. But you know, the thing about that is I think some of you would say, wow, that would be wonderful. 30 minutes of silence. We get to sit here. There's others of us who would be freaking out. 30 minutes of doing nothing? 30 minutes of silence? It's so countercultural, isn't it? You know, my three-year-old a few nights ago, Georgia, I went into her room and I was saying goodnight to her. And, and look, I had a few things I wanted to get onto, you know, to, to cram the 60 seconds full of life. And so I'm getting through the routine, right? And I'm just about ready to leave and go out the door onto my night. And then she remembers something we haven't done. You know that moment, parents? You're like, come on. You could have told me this half an hour ago, right? But she remembers it. So anyway, I kind of get up. And I must have showed in some way a bit of begrudgingness. I don't know what I did. But I walked over to the wardrobe. I got out what she wanted. And as I turned around to come back, I hear this little voice just say to me, sorry for taking your time, Dad. I know. I know. I know. And it just hit me between the eyes. And I just went to her and I said, Georgia, don't you, you know, I'm so sorry. If you feel like I'm taking your time, don't ever feel like that. And it was a real rebuke to me. And I said, I'm sorry I make you feel that way. And you know, the Sabbath tells us to take some time. It tells us to take some time. And I've been listening and reading to a a number of different things around this topic. Because as I said, I'm learning this, right? I've got to learn this to to myself. And so I want to share some of what I've been learning. But you know, I need to take more time with God. And maybe you do too. And one of the the things I was, was listening to referred to an article from the New York Times. And I want to read you some bits of this article, because I think the woman that wrote this, her name is is Judith Shilovitz in 2003, and she wrote this article called Bring Back the Sabbath, and it is profound, okay? So I want you just to listen. If you want to shut your eyes, you can, but just listen, okay, because there's some wonderful truth here from a Jewish woman. You know, she grew up in quite an Orthodox Jewish family, and the Sabbath was religiously followed. I mean, religiously followed. And she's turned away from all of that because she just found it was all rules and regulations. But then she writes this article about what happened as she grew older and she turned away from the Sabbath and a lot of what she'd learned as a young Jew. She says this, My mood would darken until by Saturday afternoon I'd be unresponsive and morose. My normal routine, which involved brunch with friends, made me feel impossibly restless. I did something that, as a teenager, profoundly put off by my religious education, I could never have imagined wanting to do. I began dropping in on a nearby synagogue. It was only much later, after I joined the synagogue, that I developed a theory about my condition that I'd had at the time. If formerly people had suffered from the Sabbath, as she had seen it, all the regulations that were associated with it, I was now suffering, she said, from the lack thereof. There is ample evidence, she says, that our relationship to work is out of whack. Ours is a society that pegs status to overachievement. We can't help admiring workaholics. Let me argue instead on behalf of an institution that has kept workaholism in reasonable check for thousands of years. The Sabbath, okay? She carries on. Most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is not work. 
The inventors of the Sabbath understood that it was a much more complicated undertaking. You cannot downshift casually and easily. This is why the Puritan and Jewish Sabbaths were so exactingly intentional. The rules did not exist to torture the faithful. They were meant to communicate the insight that interrupting the ceaseless round of striving requires a surprisingly strenuous act of will, one that has to be bolstered by habit as well as by social sanction, she says. What she's basically saying is this, our concept of work is so completely out of whack that simply thinking that you can knock off from work whenever you get tired is naive. She's saying that rest is absolutely key to life, but it is not natural. It takes an enormous amount of discipline to actually get rest. So why is it so hard to rest? Well, she sums that up as well, I think, really profoundly. Listen to these words. When the Sabbath was still sacred in society, not only did drudgery give way to festivity, family gatherings, and occasionally worship, but the machinery of self-censorship shut down too, stilling the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. Let me read that again. When the Sabbath was still sacred in society, not only did drudgery give way to festivity, family gatherings, and occasionally worship, but the machinery of self-censorship shut down too, stilling the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. You know, what she's saying there is this. In the back of the minds of many people, perhaps you and I today, is this inner murmuring that no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, we'll never do quite enough to be able to rest. It's like rest is always on the other side of a little more work. And that's what makes work and life drudgery. Where are you at? Do you feel that? Do you feel like you can never just take that rest because God says you can take that rest? Why is the Sabbath so important? Because it forces us to stop. And she concludes her article with this sentence. We have to remember to stop because we have to stop to remember. We have to remember to stop because we have to stop to remember. So what is it that we have to remember? What is it that the Sabbath helps us to remember? I want to point out just two things. The first thing is this. The first thing it helps you to remember is that all you actually need is God's approval in life, and you can't earn it. The only thing you actually really need in life is God's approval, and you cannot earn it. You know, after six days of creation, God rested, the Bible tells us, on the seventh day. Now, did he need to rest? No, God doesn't need to rest. He doesn't get tired. But you see, the thing is this, he rested to set a pattern for us. After every day of creation, The Bible says that at the end, God would look at what he'd made and he would say, that is good, or I am satisfied. That is good, I am satisfied. That is good, I am satisfied. After the last day when he rests on the seventh day, he looks at everything and he says, it is very good, or I am completely satisfied. I am very satisfied, fully satisfied. And through the Sabbath, We can stop to remember that God was fully satisfied with his perfect creation and he was fully satisfied with the death of Jesus in our place. Fully satisfied. 
In fact, we read in Isaiah 53, 11, it says this, when God sees all that is accomplished by his anguish on the cross, when Jesus sees it, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant, that's Jesus, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. What he's saying is this, a Sabbath rest should cause us to pause and reflect that God is satisfied in me because of Jesus. And that allows our striving to stop, resting in the security that Christ has done it all. There is nothing else that we can do to earn our salvation. There is nothing else that we can do to enter the promised land of God. Christ has done it all. And you see, the thing is, we try to often do it in our own strength. And the Hebrew people, that story we started with at the beginning, they're on the edge of going into the promised land. God sends out the 12, sorry, Moses sends out 12 spies to go and look in the land. 10 of them come back, and those 10, they come back and they say, we cannot go into that land. The people are huge. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. They will kill us. There's two people, Joshua and Caleb, and they don't see the size of the people. They see the size of their God, and they believe, and they say, we should surely take the land. But the other 10 say no, and the other 10 turn all of the Israelite people against Joshua and Caleb and Moses. And instead they say, no, through unbelief, we're not going to enter the rest of God. Do you know what's really interesting, though? Is that then they realize they've made a mistake. And they try to repent, and they're like, we're sorry, we're sorry. And what do they try to do? The very next day, they try to force their way into the promised land. It says that they try to go, and Moses and Joshua and Caleb are like, guys, don't go. God said yesterday was the day to go, not today. Yesterday was the today to enter the promised land of God, not today. But anyway, they still try. And the Bible says they go and they walk up this hill and the enemy batters them back and fights them back. And in Numbers 14, 44, it says, in their presumption, they still tried to take the land. In their arrogance, they thought, we can work our way to God. And what the Bible tells us is that you can't work your way to God doesn't matter how good you are. No one's going to be good enough. God has done it all for us. You know, the world is full of people trying to earn their way to God. And the Sabbath reminds us that the rest of God is a free gift you can't earn. It's unpayable by human effort. The only payment acceptable was divine. It was Jesus Christ on a cross. And I just want to ask you this morning, have you ever accepted that free gift of eternal rest that God is offering you today. Because there's nothing you can do to earn it. All you have to do is believe. Believe that he has done it all. Have you done that before? Because you know, until you do that, you're going to always be looking for the approval of other men and women and family and colleagues. And the Sabbath rest causes us to stop and remember. And it allows the machinery of self-censorship to shut down, stilling the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. The second thing the Sabbath reminds us to do is to trust in God's sovereignty. This is a key one. Trust in God's sovereignty. Do you know, it's interesting. When you think about when the Jewish Sabbath starts each week, it starts when? On Friday night. They have a meal, and then what do they do? They go to sleep. Basically, the first thing they do on the Sabbath, effectively, is go to sleep. Isn't that interesting? Now, when you're asleep, you're out of control, aren't you? You're out of control. You're completely reliant 
in God, if you believe in God. And you're going to sleep and you're saying, there's nothing else I can do this day. And you rest in God. And that is where the Sabbath started. And David, King David says in Psalm 3, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. In sleep, you either sleep out of exhaustion or you sleep out of trust. Trusting that it's in God's hand. Trusting that he is sovereign and will look after us. There's a writer, Mark Buchanan. In his book, The Sabbath Rest of God, if you can ever get your hands on that book, it is profound. The Sabbath Rest of God. He says this, Either God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, or it all depends on you. So start worrying and don't stop working. It's either all about you or it's all about God. You know, it's why so many of us work or stay busy seven days a week, and when we're not working, we're thinking about working. And, you know, we just don't think we can stop sometimes. And I think the reason we don't think we can stop is because we fear that if we do, it is all going to come crumbling down around us. In other words, we don't trust God. And the lie we keep telling ourselves and society tells us is that we can't stop until all the work is done. But as Buchanan carries on and says, he says this, the truth is the work's never done and never done quite right. It's always more than you can finish and less than you'd hoped for. So what? Get this straight, he says. The rest of God, the rest God gladly gives so that we can discover that part of God we're missing is not a reward for finishing. It's not a bonus for work well done. It's sheer gift. It's a stop work order in the midst of work that's never complete, never polished. Don't you love that? Sabbath is not the break, he says, that we're allotted at the tail end of completing all our tasks and chores, the fulfillment of all our obligation. Listen to this. It's the rest we take smack dab in the middle of them, without apology, without guilt, and for no better reason than God told us we could. Isn't that awesome? That's the Sabbath rest that God's offering you. Not because you've done enough, not because you're good enough, because God said you can Are you experiencing it? Are you living in it? It's liberating. And Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of rest, and he can give you that rest today. The deep rest that you've been searching for all your life, maybe, God offers you today. And Jesus just says, come to me and I will give you rest. The only person you should have to prove yourself to is already satisfied in you. And he's sovereignly in control if you're willing to let him be. So the third and final part of today is this. So then how do you enter that rest? How do you enter that rest of God? And I just want to share a few points that are coming up on the screen here. And again, these are things that I'm trying to learn right now, okay? And I've picked this up from other people. These are not, all my, these are not my ideas at all, actually. But I'm trying to put it into practice. But the first one I've really started thinking a lot about And it starts with this, even before number one there. It starts by getting my mindset in the right place and remembering that the Sabbath is an act of liberation. Do you realize the Sabbath for the Jewish people was for everyone, king to slave. Every single person, every single week was commanded to take a break. Isn't that wonderful? You think about social justice, right? You think about equality. It suddenly said, it doesn't matter if you're in charge or if you're the slave. Every one of us has this gift of God of rest. So think about this in your mind then. If you're struggling to rest in your life today, 
then you may try to explain it's because you're really important, you're really busy, your work has to be done all the time. But you know what? I think it actually just proves that we're no more than a slave. Because God says that a slave gets to rest. So if you're so busy and important that you can't, maybe look at it the other way. (laughs) Maybe you're living as a slave. And our mindset needs to say, God wants to liberate me from that. Now, will there be times where you have to work harder than others? Of course there will be. But I want to start with number five. Be accountable for your Sabbath time. You may, as a family, for example, you might say to your husband or to your wife, hey, you know what? These next couple of years are going to be really full on. I believe God's opened a door and we're going to have to work into this business and it's going to be flat out. And I'm going to struggle to take as much rest as I want. I'm going to still take some rest, but I'm going to struggle to take as much as I'd like. But darling, at the end of those two years, you hold me accountable. Because otherwise it's going to become five years, ten years, my life. Be accountable. Back to number one. Cease doing what you feel you have to and do the things that give you life. I love that. I love that. I don't know about you, but you know, on a weekend... I start going through all the stuff I've got to do. And sometimes I've got to stop and do the stuff that as a family and as an individual, we just want to do. Stuff that gives us life. Balance your Sabbath time. Leisure that refreshes you. You know, if your job is chopping wood, don't chop wood on the Sabbath. But if you love chopping wood because it gives you life, chop down a forest, man. Mow the lawns until you've got the straightest lines possible. But if your job is mowing lawns, don't do it. <laughs> do something different. And, you know, balance it with some time of worship, contemplation, stuff that spiritually connects you with God is really important. Number three, learn in community. Maybe there's some people here in this very church that are in the similar type of profession that you are. Why don't you get together for a coffee and say, man, if you're anything like me, I'm finding this hard. So how could we do this? How could we work out some way that we could keep each other accountable? Or what's some ideas that we could put rest into our life? Be accountable for the Sabbath time, as I said. Now, look, you could add on more and more there, but the last one I'll finish with is number two. Take more Sabbath time. Because again, you know, this isn't about guilt, going out of here today thinking, oh, I'm taking no time, I'm such a bad Christian. No, it's not about that. What it's saying is if you're taking no time, take a little bit more time this week. If you're taking a little bit of time, see how you can take a bit more time so that you can really be refreshed by God, so that you can walk in His rest now, not just in eternity, that you can experience Him in your life today. Because today, as Sabbath rest remains for the people of God, so your heart may stay soft. You know, the wonderful thing is, God keeps renewing that promise and setting the day as today. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful that today wasn't just last week. Today is today. You can walk in that rest today, but the choice is yours. And I want to close with this. The ultimate practical step you can take to enter the rest of God is to accept him as your perfect savior. And if you haven't done that already, then everything else I've been talking about today is not going to make sense. You're going to keep striving. You're going to keep trying to do it on your own. But today, God says to you, if you want to come to me and you want to experience the promised land that I, you know, I, I offered to the, the Hebrews, that promised place of God's provision and blessing, then you can experience today 
So what do you need to do? Well, in a minute, I'm going to pray. And while I'm praying, I'm going to give people an opportunity. If that's you and you're saying, James, I've been running all my life and I am worn out and I want to stop striving. I want to stop trying to be good enough for God and I want to just say, God, I want to rest in you. If that's you, then in a minute, when all of our eyes are closed and we're praying, I'm just going to say, if that's you, pop your hand up so that I can see it and I can just identify with you and then I'm going to pray with you, okay, so that you can make that commitment to God. And for the rest of us, I'd just say, there's enough in here for us to think about, right? Let's walk out of here today encouraged, inspired to say, God, I want to know that rest that we've been talking about in your Bible. Help me to do it. So why don't we pray for a minute? Let's shut our eyes. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. For whoever believes in Jesus will never perish, but will have everlasting life, everlasting rest. I just want to ask you right now, while we're just sitting in this moment of silence, if today you're saying, James, I want to know the rest of God, I want to know this God you're talking about, and I want to stop all the striving I've been doing. If that's you, why don't you just raise your hand for a second, I'll just pray for you where you are. Cool, anyone else? Yeah, awesome. Just give you one last moment here. If that's you, you're saying, I want to know this God. Fantastic. Let's pray. I want to just lead you in a prayer, okay? And it's a simple prayer. There's nothing special about the prayer. It's just a way that you can verbalize to God that you want to know his rest, okay? So why don't you just follow me as I, as I pray this? Why don't you just pray it in your heart as well? God can hear you. And let's commit your way and your life to God. Dear Lord, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you offer me rest. Today, I want to ask you to give me that rest. I want to ask you to forgive me for all the wrong I've done. I want you to help me to stop striving. And I want to become a part of your family. So God, receive me today. Thank you that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, that's wonderful. If you've said that to God this morning and you mean it out of a heart that just says, God, I want to know you, that is wonderful. Because right